This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right. Hey, so my name's Anthony Kaminga, and welcome to Den Talk. And our guest today is JB. JB, you can go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, so uh, my name is JB. Um, I, uh, I, I pastor a church in the large metropolitan area of Spring Hill, Louisiana. We uh, a town of about 5,000. So um, we're pretty proud of ourselves because we recently got a Taco Bell. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, so what did you want to talk about today? So um, I just, I wanted to share uh, my story. Uh, I grew up in a home um, where there was a lot of alcoholism and uh, my, my dad was a, a, a narcissistic person and um, we, we kind of went through some things. And so it, it led me into a, a, a dark place as a teenager and um, kind of trapped in a prison of my own mind, uh, I would say. And um, so I just want to kind of share a message of, of hope because I think there's probably a lot of people that are there as well, young, older. It doesn't really matter. Anybody can, can go through things. Anybody can deal with depression and uh, all, all, you know, that, that world. And uh, so... I just kind of wanted to share my story because there is freedom from that. There is hope. And so that's that's kind of what I'm all about. That's what I'm here for. All right. So let's get into it. Let's talk about um you getting into stuff as oh. a teenager. Yeah. So um what led to that um was uh when when we were kids, we we were uh, we lived in a little rock. So I've got one brother, it's just me and him. And um I I, I want to say this before we kind of get into this. So I'm gonna talk uh, a lot about my father, because um, that was the source of a lot of this trauma, a lot of this stuff. And I want to say this. Um, I, I, I love my dad. I care about my dad. I don't have um, any um, contact with him. Uh, haven't for, for years. Uh, when you have someone in your life that is a narcissist, they've got that, that personality disorder. Um, sometimes you can live with that. Sometimes you can make amends with that. Sometimes they can find treatment. They can uh, kind of get out of that behavior. Uh, but there are there are times with narcissism that um, you just can't, and for your own um, mental well being, sometimes for your own safety, uh, you have to um, kind of you know cut ties. And so um, with him, we we had to do that. And um, I, so I don't want to be uh, maybe mis uh, I don't want to be misleading uh, as far as um, my feelings towards him. You know, I love him, I care about him, I hope that he finds mental health. Um, but there comes a point, especially if you were in uh, maybe a dating relationship with someone that's narcissist, uh, you, you have to, a lot of times you have to, for your sake, um, get out of that. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've, I've read about folks, I've talked to folks that 
had to literally, you know, run away, disappear. And um, we had to do that when I was a kid. But anyway, so I just kind of want to get out that out of the way that, you know, I, I, I care about him and I, I, I hope that he finds peace out there in the world. Um, <clears throat> but as kids, um, you know, we had a great life. Uh, we were uh, both my parents are RNs. Um, we lived up in Little Rock, Arkansas. And uh, so we we didn't know at first that there were problems. We didn't realize um, until I was I was in the first grade when I started to realize there were some things going on that just didn't really um, they were just strange. You know, uh, we would uh, stay with our grandparents a lot on on weekends because my parents worked. Uh, my mom worked a weekend option and my dad, uh, he was going to nursing school as well and uh, came home and noticed some holes in the wall. And, you know, hey, mom, why is there a hole in the wall? And uh, just the answers were kind of strange. Um, actually come to find out later um, as an adult talking to her, say, hey, mom, do you remember that there was holes in the wall? And it was, uh, you know, coffee pot being thrown. And so there was a lot of turmoil in the house and <clears throat> there was a lot of rage in the house. And uh, what that was is a, it, it was generational. So my my father he was raised uh, mostly by his grandparents. His dad was an alcoholic, and his um, his mother was uh, uh, she dealt with bipolar disorder and psychosis, and so there was a lot of m mental uh, illness in the family. And um, a lot of times, parents that deal with those kind of things, when they have children, uh, they they don't mean to, but they will hand those things off to their kids, and so that began to happen. And, um, kind of the breaking point was, uh, so my dad, like I said, he was, he was an alcoholic and, um, alcoholism is a, it's, it's an illness, you know, and I, you'll never hear me, uh, just beat on somebody for having that, that problem that, you know, alcoholism, uh, because people get in that and it's, it's so difficult for them to get loose of that, um, without, you know, without help a lot of times. And, um, anyway, so, so my dad, you know, he would spend a lot of time drinking and, uh, normally my brother and I would, you know, he put us in our room and, uh, he would spend, you know, spend the night getting drunk. And, uh, so one night, uh, he, he ran out of, uh, alcohol, he ran out of liquor. So he wanted, you know, he, he needed to go on a run. And uh, so he loaded me and my brother up in his truck. We went to the liquor store and um, obviously, you know, drunk driving, we're going to have a wreck. And so um, we go uh, out on these back roads and he had a friend that lived way out in the middle of nowhere. And we go to that guy's house and he goes in the house and we didn't go inside the house with him. He goes in and we sat in the truck for I don't know how long I fell asleep. It's just me and my brother sitting in the front seat of this truck. And uh, so we went to sleep. Woke up later, freezing cold. Finally, my dad comes back out, and um, he uh, he gets in the truck. And at this at this point, he's he's pretty messed up. He's uh, he he is very drunk. And uh, we begin driving around, and we went up a a um, like a drive like a long driveway. And again, we're way out in the country, and so this driveway is basically a dirt road. But I could see a house up on the hill, and. Um, so we, we go there and we veer off the driveway and we crash into some trees. Well, these people saw us and they're like, Hey, you know, what just happened? And they come out of their house. And, and so he throws it in reverse and we, we spin out, peel out, 
you know, just rut up their yard and, and we go racing down this driveway. And um, as we go racing down the driveway, we come out on another road and, and just, I mean, we're going fast. And uh, we, we come to an intersection and just drive straight through it and go down into a really deep culvert and crash. And I mean, we crashed hard. Um, I was, you know, thank God that I had done my best. I was six uh, to buckle my seatbelt. And when we did, I hit the dashboard, dislocated my nose. Uh, my brother was okay, uh, but we got tossed around. And um, so uh, my dad tried to get the truck out. He couldn't get that truck out of there. I mean, we were, we were like almost upside down, and we were in a ditch. Water's coming in the vehicle. And uh, the homeowners, they drove after us, and they pulled out onto the road, and my dad had a shotgun. And uh, so he pulled the shotgun out, and he started shooting at them. And, uh, you know, I'm, I can't believe this is happening. Right. And it's just, it's blowing my little six year old mind. And so he, he does that and they take off and, um, uh, you remember back phones, yeah. right? So, you know, if you're, uh, elder millennials know what we're talking about. So the cell phones, uh, they, they haven't always been these computers that you had in your pocket. You used to have these bags that you would put in your vehicle, and and that was like a corded landline phone. They're big bricks. You know? Yes. Yeah, and so we had a bag phone in there, and it had gotten tossed down into the bottom of the, the, the cab, and I got that thing, and I knew to dial 911. So I dialed 911, and I hit send, and that's I, that's all I did. And um, there was uh, where we crashed was actually on the backside of someone's yard, and they heard us. And so they came out, and I think they probably called 911 too. Um, but anyway, so we got there, and, you know, my dad had a standoff with the police. And I'm sitting there in this truck, and I, I just remember this deputy leans into the truck, and he's got like this, it looks like a dirty, hairy, you know, 44 Magnum looking. It may not have been that big when I was little. Yeah. But, um, and he's pointing this at my dad. And before this moment, that was my dad. You know, and every little boy, every little girl, their dads are superhero. Well, I'm like, man, my father is about to get blown away. And he's, he's, he's trying to get this gun. And so anyway, they, they get him. He surrenders. And they load us in a police, in a police cruiser. And we go to the police station and, and we sit there for a while. My mom comes. She was at work that night. She comes to get us. And anyway, that, that was a, defining moment as a kid um because again you, you know your dad um it's like your superhero and to see that very strange and it was very you know it was a grown-up moment for a little kid to have and so um anyway we we ended up having to move so we moved to louisiana and um kind of had to get out of arkansas because there were a lot of legal problems after that and so we got out of town, moved to Louisiana, and um, everything went pretty good for a long time. Um, everything went pretty good. Um, we uh, just kind of had a normal life, you know. Uh, we were just kind of keeping up with the Joneses. We were, um, we were, uh, we were like country. I mean, we were rednecks, man. We lived out of town, and uh, we uh, it was it was great for two little boys that just you know we loved getting dirt under our fingernails. And just kind of run wild on this property we had, and um, like I said, things went pretty good for a while. Um, but that alcohol, that 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 virus that he had, and you know, it began to reappear. 
and uh, we noticed some strange behavior. Um, my dad would go, he was a bass fisherman and, uh, he would go, uh, he'd go out fishing and he would go on all day. And, um, you know, I can understand being gone on a long fishing trip. You know, if you're, if you're reeling them in left and right, come on, you're going to stay all day. Yeah. Um, but he'd be gone all day and he'd come back and we're like, man, dad, did you catch any fish? And he's like, yeah, I, I threw him back. <laughs> and, um, just strange behaviors, you know? And I've learned now that with addiction, a lot of times these, these behaviors that just don't make sense appear. And, um, so anyway, uh, that, that went on for a few years. Um, and fast forward, I'm about 12 and, um, that rage entered, re-entered the home. And, uh, my, my father, um, the way that he would deal with things is, uh, he would get violent and, uh, you know, if you did not clean up after yourself properly, if you did not uh, speak properly, um, he, he would be violent. You know, there were times that, um, you know, we were hit, we were thrown around. And um, again, we wanted that superhero dad. And so it's it's a breaking thing for a kid who just wants their father to be you know, to be punished in those kind of ways. And, um, so that, that kind of snowballed, it kept happening. It kept getting worse. And, um, you know, my mother was present the whole time she was there, but, uh, I don't fault her at all for any of this because she's trying to survive too. And, uh, she, she still had a career and she's got these boys that she's trying to take care of and she's trying to survive as well. And I don't know if there was any domestic, you know, I don't know if he ever hit her or anything, um, but the uh, the violence of language was there and the mental abuse was there. And so, you know, we just kind of lived in that. And another thing a narcissist will do is they will isolate you. And that's what my father did to us. We were homeschooled. Um, I began having behavior issues at school um, and I was getting in fights. I was getting in fights really quickly. Um, and uh, I got in one bad fight and, and I hurt a kid. And, um, I, I hit him with a, a rock and, uh, you get in a lot of trouble for that. And, uh, so anyway, I, I, I finished fourth grade and they pulled me out and they said, Hey, we're going to homeschool you cause you're having a lot of issues. And, um, so my brother was also homeschooled and my mother, she worked again, she still worked a weekend option as a nurse. And so she would work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or she would work Thursday, Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and come home on Sunday. She still actually worked in Little Rock, so she was, she had like a two, yeah, yeah, she had like a two and a half hour commute, and she would stay there. Um, and so we were isolated, and it's important, you know. If I guess one of the messages I want to, um, you, you know, speak today is that um, if if you're in a relationship with a narcissist, if you've got someone that is a narcissist that you're uh, that's trying to con have control over you. That's one of the ways that you can recognize it is they begin to try to isolate you. And so we, we lived through that, that isolation and the mental, I always say mental gymnastics that they go through because what a narcissist will do is make everything your fault. You know, it's your fault. And so my dad, he, you know, he would sling a belt real quick, but it was always your fault. It's your fault that I just had to beat you. It's your fault. I had to do this to you because, you know, you left me no choice. 
because of your behavior. It's your fault. You know, I'm, I'm a 10, 11, 12 year old. It's your fault, son. And, um, so that, again, that progressed and, um, my dad started openly, um, drinking again because he had stopped after the wreck and after we, you know, had to flee, uh, flee the state of Arkansas, he, he quit, um, for a few years. Uh, but he, and he started back kind of as a closet alcoholic, but then, um, he, you know, wide open started just drinking again. And, um, it was, uh, it was, it was a tough time because that rage would just absolutely out of control whenever he would get drunk. And, um, anyway, so, uh, it got to a point where we began to, to fear for our lives. Because my dad would, he would threaten bodily harm. He would threaten to kill you, you know, and anytime that someone was wrong to him, anytime he felt someone was wrong, he would, you know, he would talk about how he would kill them. He, you know, he would describe in detail, I would cut their legs off and I'm going to cut their head off and I could bury them in on the back 40 and nobody know. And, uh, and, and so that, that language began to be projected onto us, you know, son, don't cross me because nobody would find you. And so going through that, um, again, I'm, I'm 12 at this point and, uh, he had a pistol and before we escaped, we began every night, we would, my mom, my brother and me would all barricade ourselves in my bedroom. And my dad would, he would go and he'd lay down in his room. Oftentimes he'd pass out drunk and, um, we would we would get in that room and I had a chest of drawers and we would just push that in front of the door. And I had that pistol. I stole it. And, um, I just never told him I had it. I mean, he knew it was gone, but it's like, I don't know where it's at. And I just, you know, he would beat me and I just never told him I've got it. And I had it hidden in my room. And, you know, I had decided like, Hey, if he comes through that door, I'm going to, I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to protect my brother. I'm going to protect my, protect my mother. And so, um, so my mom, and again, she's just as much of a victim as me and my brother. Uh, she, she, it took her a while, but she finally got the courage up to get out. And so one night we, um, we, we packed kind of the bare minimum and waited till he passed out. And while he was gone, I remember we, we turned the TV on really loud. So he would think there was still you know, kind of ambient noise in the house. And, um, we loaded up and, and we got out and, uh, I didn't see my dad. He tried to get us back, um, through the court system and it just, it just didn't work. Um, I, I didn't, I saw him one time and then I didn't see him again for about eight years. And, uh, during that time is when I walked through the darkest points of my life. Um, and that was a really, really long way of getting to answer your question. But, um, uh, I, um, I hated him with everything. Every part of me hated that man. You know, if I had seen him on the side of the road bleeding out, I would have been like, okay, you deserve it. Hated him. And hatred is such a powerful force in your life and it's not a force for good um and so that hatred became my identity and 
I was just hateful little guy. You know, I was, this is, we're talking between 14 to 16, just not, not a long time, but developmentally, that is a long time. Come on, we know that young people grow so much during those years. They become, you know, they really start to become who they're, who they are, who they're going to be. And um, so I, I, I struggled so much and there was such darkness in my life. And, um, you know, during that time, I hated, I hated him so much. And the thing with hatred and anger is there's only, there's only a matter of time until it, in it, so you project hatred, you project anger, but there's only a matter of time until it goes inward. You can push it outward for a while, but eventually it, it goes inward. And so I began to just hate me, hate who I am. I'm nothing. You know, my dad, um, he, he would talk to us. He would say this and, um, I cannot, what's your, what, what about language? You're fine. Okay, cool. Um, he, he would say this, he would say, son, he said, you're worthless as tits on a boar hog. And, you know, he would use slurs towards us. You know, he, if you did something that he didn't like, that you he you weren't being a, a a macho boy, you know he would say you're a faggot, son, you're a little fag. And so my identity, I didn't know who I was, and that kind of you know again, you're, you want your dad to be your superhero, and so that worthlessness was just spoken into me in a powerful way, and so. Again, the hatred was project. I hate him so much. I hate him so much. But it began to eat at me. That hatred and that anger began to turn inward. And so I started hating me. I started being mad at myself. And I just felt like nothing. I'm worthless because that's what had been spoken to me. And I accepted that as, as my reality. My identity was worthless. I'm nothing. And so... um I, I began to self-harm uh, when I was 14. Um, I, uh, of course, you know, I told you I was kind of a redneck kid, so I had a pocket knife, and that's what I used. I just took my pocket knife, and I began to carve myself up. And I just wanted to, for me, cutting was a way that I could, I, I could punish myself for being worthless, you know? I wanted to hurt me. I wanted, you know, I've heard, People talk about cutting and, and self-harm in different ways. But for me, it was, you deserve this. You deserve to feel this pain. And I would do that. And I began to steal narcotics. And I began to steal wh whatever I could get my hands on, any kind of pain meds, anything like that, um, and, and use those things. And I would just take them and, and chew them up. And, and, and I would lock myself in my room. We were still homeschooled at this time. And I would do the bare minimum to not get truancy and to not get, um, you know, because there are laws in Louisiana. And uh, and that was my life. And it was hell. Yeah. I was alone. And it there, there was no hope to be found. It was a dark, dark place. And, and that was just, I would, I didn't want to get caught um, with the self-harm. And so what I would do is, is I would, I would cut one arm and then it would begin to heal. And I always tried to do it where nobody would see. And my grandmother, so we live with our grandparents and my grandmother almost caught me one time. And, um, that was, 
really the closest I got to telling anybody about it. Um, and uh, that that hopelessness uh, again. That's just where I lived, and I I, um, I felt as if a prisoner in my own mind. And uh, there was no, it's almost like there were no doors, no windows. I'm just in solitary in my own mind. And um, it it was a, it was a tough place to be. And so then again, I'm hating myself now. I don't even think about how much I hate my dad anymore. I think about how much I hate me. Yeah. And that's a, I try to tell my kids because it was my grandma told me at one time I used the word hate, mm. and she told me to be careful of how you use that word because it's probably the most powerful word in the dictionary. Yeah. So I try to preach that to my kids. Don't hate is such a strong word to use against anyone. Mm. Um. And it takes a lot to overcome. Like if someone, if you're, if you really hate something or someone really hates you. Um, and I think a lot of people as kids been in your shoes, whether it's coming from a, a split household, an abusive household. I mean, I, I come from a, my parents were divorced mm. right around that time where I was 12 years old, just like you. So by the time I got to 14, like I did really good in school. I was doing sports. By the time I got to 14, I already started using drugs. I was drinking alcohol. Throughout high school, I was in and out of a, we got a Department of Youth Affairs, which is pretty much like juvie here. So I went through all of that and then my grandma on my dad's side helped raise me. My grandma on my mom's side had my sister. My brother wasn't, so we weren't even seeing each other. So that hopelessness, mm. all of that, so many people can relate to it. I understand that, you know, my, what I went through, there's people out there. Come on, I've watched, I've watched and listened to uh, past episodes of what you guys are doing here. Yeah. There's people go through some really, really yeah. tough, horrible, absolutely horrible things. And, you know, I thank, thank God I was protected from a lot of things like that. And so um, I think that one of the reasons that I want to share what I went through is because I think a lot of people suffer in silence. They go through this mind isolation in, in silence because, they, well, nobody cares. Nobody yeah. cares that I feel <clears throat> worthless. Nobody cares that I hate myself. You know, I'm secretly doing these things. Nobody cares. And, of course, that voice in your head tells you that. Nobody cares about you, man. Um, But that's where I was. Um, And uh, so it got to a point where I I just hated myself so much. You're you're a loser, you know. And um, I was watching kind of my peers go by. Again, I was isolated. Um, And... I just couldn't get out of that mind prison. And so I began to think about suicide. I began to think about taking my own life. And I would lay there floating because of these meds that I was taking. Um, 
and, uh, you know, just bleeding where I've been cutting on myself and just think, man, it would be better if I was gone. Nobody would care. My grandparents wouldn't have to worry about me. Wouldn't be getting on my brother's nerves. Nobody would have to take a break out of their day to worry about me. And that is, if that is where your heart is, then you're in a really, really tough place. And that's where I was. And so um, I stayed there for a while and I, um, I sat in my room, I stole the gun again. So when we, when we moved in with my grandparents, my, my grandpa, he was, a he, he knew what was up and he had a really plain way about it, about things. He was, he was very proverbial, you know, he would talk in, you know, proverbs and, um, you know, he, he, he had sayings that he would say, and, uh, you know, he'd say, I got a feeling everything's going to be all right. You know, that kind of stuff. And, but he knew, he knew. And so he said, Hey, I want to know where the gun's at. And I'm like, what gun? And he's like, I'm smarter than you. And so, uh, so he, he got the gun. And, um, what I did though, is I, I stole it back. And I remember sitting in my room at night and I thought, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to, I'm going to do everybody a favor and just stop this whole thing. And, um, look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than, Hey, (sighs) well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Man. The taste of a pistol in your mouth is something you don't forget. And I sat there with that gun ready to go. And I waited and I waited and I waited and I put it down. And even then, and this is how powerful self-hate is. Even then, that voice in my head, it's like, you loser. You can't even off yourself. What a failure. And I live, I kept the gun under my bed for, for a few days. And every night I would look at it and I would say, man, if I wasn't so weak, then I could shut this whole thing down and I could fix the problem. And, uh, that was for me, that was the lowest point. 
that worthlessness, that not knowing who I am, who, you know, this no hope whatsoever. And um, so what's the way out? You know, what, where's the hope in this thing? Obviously, uh, I made it through. Yeah. And um, so um, I, I just, I stayed in that place, stayed in that mind prison. And um, I had a friend. And uh, that that friend, that friend, really changed my life because she was the only person that cared. And I would still go to church, you know. We, um, like I said, we, we, I, it was a Christian house, and that's the that's one of the craziest things is you say, oh yeah, I grew up in a Christian home, and. You know, we'd read the Bible. My mom would pray with us. But you can you can know the name Jesus and not live for Jesus, you know. And but my so I I went to church. I uh I they made me. <laughs> I wouldn't have gone cuz I could not stand it. Oh, I hated church so much and I hated God. For me, the idea of God, like what a what a fake thing. God, you're not real. If you were real, why would I be sitting here like this? Why would I be dealing with this? You're a liar. I um this is great. I snuck out of the house. Uh I was afraid to get arrested, so I was really careful. Um but I snuck out of the house and uh, I hated every Christian. I just, oh, I hated them because they were so positive. And I was like, man, you don't get to be that happy. I'm, I live in hell. You don't get to be that happy. And um, I, uh, I, I, I snuck out of the house and I was like, man, I, I got to do something. I got to stop. I, I got to make a scene at this church. And so I go to the church and I, I, um, I, I tried to set the church on fire and uh, I was in, so the church has got like these bushes on the side and I was, I was over there and I thought, how, how can I get in here? Cause the doors are metal. How can I get in here and set this thing on fire? And I had a little lighter and I had some sticks and stuff and I was trying to build a fire at the corner where there's, uh, there's some wood and I thought maybe that'll catch. And like, because I just, I, I didn't really know why I just hated him so much. I hated God, I hated every, every person that had Christian, you know, in their name, they were a Christian. I hated them with everything I had. And, um, so I, I was trying to get the fire started and, um, a police officer drove into the parking lot and I just was like, Whoa. And I dove into the bushes and they just kind of, you know, patrolled on by. They didn't see me. And it, it, that scared me. I thought, man, I just almost busted. And so I, I went home. I thought, I, this is, this is too intense. I can't do this. And, um, so, so I was in church and, um, I, I had, I went to youth group on Wednesday nights and uh, my youth pastor was, was a great guy. And he spent a lot of time talking to me about things and, and I would never let him in because I was like, I know what you're trying to do. You are not, you are not going to get JB 
to start following JC, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not doing the Jesus thing, man. <laughs> you're, you're not going to get me. But, um, anyway, so there was this girl and, uh, I try to be tough, but I cry. Hey man. And I might lose it. <laughs> it's fine. There's always a girl that's going to help you. And yeah, I mean, it's okay to be emotional because with these, like these talks, like I'll get goosebumps from it. Yeah. Because you can look like you're doing perfectly fine. Mm. And there's someone thinking about doing that to themselves. Yep. Right now. Yep. And, you know, you can, people can look at me and her. Mm -hmm. Nail salon successful. We're starting this podcast. Yeah. Why are we doing it? Everyone goes through stuff. And what is it? Four years ago? Four years ago, I almost took my own life. Mm. And it looks like we I tell, like, I, I would tell her all the time. What you see on social media is not people's real lives. Come on. <clears throat> so don't even try to live up to these fake yeah. lives on social media. Yeah. Because I almost took my own life with her kicking in a door. Mm. My brother trying to kick the door open. My mom and stepdad came to the house because she called them. My stepdad finally kicked the door open. I was ready to go. Yeah. And uh, my mom and stepdad had flown me out to Tucson to visit some family that I haven't seen in a long time. They didn't know why I was there. And it was just to get away. Have a little, like, self-retreat. Yeah. So... The people that look like they're happy, everything can be a facade. Yes. And no one knows what everyone is going through. So there's people in the city right now that's probably thinking of doing that same thing at this moment or in Spring Hill. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a real tough thing to talk about. Yeah. So even kids right now going through these things you're talking about so i don't know how anyone won't get emotional from mm. listening to the stories i mean there's going to be people that listen to it that's gone through what you're talking about have sliced up their arms tried to take their life and Coming from me, you're you're making me emotional because I I didn't go through something similar like you. But there's things that happened in my life while I was a teenager that led me to do, you know, certain things. And then almost taking my life four years ago. And that's why, like, when, when we met out there and you asked me how I'm doing, I said, I can't complain because I woke up this morning. Come on. So that is my answer every single time someone asks me how I'm doing. Yeah. And that's the only way I go about it. Yeah. And even with now when someone opens a door, they hold it for me or the cashier at Walmart, I tell every single person I appreciate it every single time that they do something because I might not have been around. 
Mm. So I look at my kids, my wife. I appreciate all these things I have because I could have been gone. Yeah. And I was at that moment where I grew up in a Catholic household. I went to church a lot. And at that time, I was saying, if there's really a God, why why can't he help me get through this? Yeah. But, you know, things have a strange way of working out. Yeah. So I can feel it. That's why I'm just letting you talk. Yeah. (laughs) I can relate in my own way. And everyone, there's going to be people that can relate in their way, too. Yeah. So... So again, how how did I get out of this thing? How did I get out of this 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 pit? Because um, that's to me that's that's a, a good way to describe it. Because and you, maybe you can relate to that. It's just like there's there's no way out. You're just stuck. And um, so I uh, I was friends with this girl, and I'd known her my whole life. Um, we met at church when we were little kids, and. Um, <clears throat> I just walk through life like a zombie. I mean, just, I don't care. I don't care about grades. I don't care about anything. I just hate myself and I, I I don't care. And uh, so this girl, she didn't accept that answer. She's like, no, you got to do better than that. And I, uh, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not gonna do better than that. I, I'm an I'm an angry person, and um, so uh, she was the best friend that I didn't know I needed, and she became. You know, I had I had friends, I had you know peers that I talked to, and and there were times when I when I was happy. There were times when I. You know, I tried to be a clown, and it's just like what you said. Oftentimes, the 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 happiest, seemingly happiest people, the funniest people, are the most broken. Yeah. And that was me. That was who I was. Just absolutely in a mental, just mentally distraught and destroyed. And uh, so, uh, this girl, learning is Brittany, and. Uh, I hated me, and she didn't. And um, she taught me how to care about myself. Brittany taught me how to get past everything that had ruined my life. Everything that had broken me in so many ways. Um, thanks for those. Uh, she taught me how to get through that. Taught me how to break through that stuff. And all those things that I went through, yeah, they still hurt. They still hurt today when you think about them. You know, they it sucks to think about, and I try not to think about it a lot. And, um, this is the first time that I've talked about some of this stuff, um, other than to my, you know, my closest friends and family. Um, but again, I feel like it's, I, I just want people to know 
Like if you're if you're in the midst, if you feel like there's no way out, there is a way out. There is hope. And um, so for her, for me, it was I got I got rescued, and um, so she taught me how to care about myself, how to be friends with myself. And, um, you know, uh, she is still my best friend and she's, she is, I don't even know how to describe it, but, um, anyway, that girl taught me how to care about me and how to care about other people. And, um, you know, the end of that story is, is we got married Mm-hmm. And uh um well, we got three we got three rugrats now and um you know we are absolutely so blessed. And when I sit here and I think about I could have I could have drastically changed all that because I was trapped in my own mind. And so you know, um, I, I got out of it and uh, found worth, and um, and I still dealt with some things. You know, my my father, um, we we reconnected um, when I was I was a, a young adult. We reconnected, and and things seemed really good for a while. Um, and I thought, man, you know, this is nice. I've got, you know, and. Um, but again, he's uh, he's he's still what you would call a functioning alcoholic, and um, whenever it's it's just it's it's an illness. That's the best way to say it. Um, and it's you know, I, I I wish that he could find freedom from that. Um, but uh, anyway, um, we struggled. Uh, in our in our relationship, even as an adult, and then we had our our daughter as our oldest, and uh, my dad, he he got to see her a few times. He kind of got to know her a little bit, and then that um, that narcissist personality came through again, and the nightmares of the past just come rushing, you know, come right to the front, and um, that's when you know. He he wanted to spend more time with my daughter, and we said no. You know, she was a newborn. He wanted to keep her at his house, and uh, we said no. And uh, something that a narcissist will do is um, they don't take no for an answer. And uh, so when we told him no, you know, there was just explosive rage. And I'm like, this is the same stuff. And, um, you know, that's when he threatened Hayward. I'm, I'm going to take her. I'm going to take your daughter. And I'm a razor as mine. And so, you know, you're not going to do that. And uh, so that's when we had to, you know, kind of cut ties with him. And um, anyway, I, uh, I do want to say, and, I, and I, I'm not, I don't want to preach or anything, but for me, um, I came to a relationship with, with God um, when I was a teenager. After all this stuff, I went to a summer camp and um, Louisiana Assemblies of God. And, um, there was freedom found and, um, obviously I, you know, I'm a pastor now and, um, and that's, that's, you know what, that's my message is just 
there's hope. If you're messed up, if someone has done something to you and they've put that identity on you, they've put that trauma on you, um, you there's hope. There's hope. And um, you matter. Uh, the worst the worst of it was it was when I just felt like I don't matter. Nobody would care. But, you know, if you're listening to this, if you're watching and um, you've got those feelings, you've got that, you feel like you're stuck in your own mind, you do matter. And people care. And I know it's 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 really hard to kind of cut ties with people that you love. Yeah. And uh, sometimes it's for the better. And with that hope, things have a strange way of working out. Yeah. So <clears throat> I know it's hard. I mean, like, I haven't seen my dad in going going on seven years. I he's just back home. Yeah. But uh, he'll message me every now and then. Sometimes I'll take two days to respond because mm-hmm. when I talk to him, it, it makes me miss miss him more. Yeah. So I know staying away from a parent. Um. Parents or grandparents not being able to see their grandkids, mm-hmm. all of that is hard. Yeah. And um. I don't. I don't know, man. It's everything's always gonna it's gonna work out some way or another. Yeah, it, it might not be done in a week, a month. It could take five years, but but it'll get there. Yeah. And I appreciate you having this talk because I think she's only had guests come in and talk like this, you know. So you're you're the first guy interviewed to talk about something like this. And a lot of times guys are scared to talk about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I think that's I like if we can maybe spend a few minutes talking about that, I think that that's a oh, big yeah. deal. And um I forgot to ask Chris, who was the jiu-jitsu guy that came on. Yeah. But I asked Paul. Um, because I see it more and more now in like a lot of these sports podcasts mm-hmm. where they'll ask their guests like how they're really feeling. Because mm-hmm. you could ask anyone how they're feeling and they're just like, Oh, I'm good. I'm good. But for men, mm-hmm. it's a whole lot deeper. And they don't really want to say how they actually feel. Yeah. Because they think they shouldn't need. Yeah. Or they. If they do say how they actually feel. They're going to look like this whining. Yep. Cowardly guy. Weak. Yep. Weak guy. Yeah. There's the better word. So. And that's what. With us having more men come on. And me doing it. That's really. For me, what it's more about mm. is um, trying to just get them to open up just like you did. Yeah. Uh, so how how are you really feeling? We're good. You know, um, like I said, we're, we are so blessed. And, you know, I understand that, you know, politically there's a lot of weird stuff going on. But, man, I get to wake up every morning next to the woman I love, um, a lot of times, you know, you're a parent, so you know, a lot of times, especially on the weekend, if you're trying to sleep in, 
that door of my bedroom explodes and these kids, <laughs> you know, they jump and they wake us up. And I'm like, man, I love my kids, but I'm never sad at bedtime, you know. Um, but even even sometimes that might be a little frustrating, but I've got these amazing kids and I get to be their dad. Come on. So, yeah, I'm, I'm good, man. I'm good. And. You know, I've often thought if I could go back in time and talk to 15-year-old, 16-year-old JB, what would I say? What would I say to that kid that's so mad, that so, feels so forgotten? What would I say to him? And I think this is it. I would say, man, this sucks. What you're going through sucks. It's not your fault. Yeah. And you have a future. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of, I don't know if a lot of guys do it, but I think the same. Mm-hmm. Like, if I could go back, what would I do? Yeah. But if I didn't do everything that I did, I wouldn't have met my wife. Yes. I wouldn't have had my kids. So there's nothing I would change. And, you know, when I came back from that little self-retreat, it made me just appreciate everything. No matter how hard life is, like you said, I wake up next to my wife. I got my kids. That's really all I need. And... I'm really happy about that. Yeah. So we don't need to pretend like we're living this fake life or, you know, just get out of our own way. And uh, people just need to learn to appreciate everything around them. Absolutely. So Um, attitude, attitude's everything. Um, Everything that you do, Every action you take begins as a as a feeling, as a thought, as an emotion, and so you know it. This may this kind of goes out again to people that are dealing with stuff, dealing with things. Um, don't be afraid to confront the the thoughts. Don't be afraid to confront. Don't be afraid to have a positive attitude. And you, man, you can have a positive attitude. Um, it's like you said when 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 we met earlier, you know, hey, I, I got up this morning. I'm good. Yeah. You know, and I think that makes such a difference because we live in a society that thrives on negativity. And I mean, <laughs> if you jump on Instagram and go through a news feed, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's so much negativity. And um, I, I try to unplug as much as possible from that. Um, because negativity, it will, it, man, it gets in your mind, it gets in your heart and it makes you, it makes you grumpy. And, um, I just want to be a positive person. I'm not always positive. Yeah. Um, but I do my best. Every, everyone's going to have those, you know, everyone's going to have to be a little grumpy every now and then. Sure. But I mean, it's like when I go to work, I don't treat anyone differently. I'm not there to talk bad about anyone. I don't care if you're not doing your job or you're doing your job. Everyone needs to just treat each other better. 
And you're able to see it every day in society where people are treating someone bad just because they're working. I've seen someone where they're getting mad at a person that works at a coffee store. Yeah. Like they're, they're probably working a minimum wage, but there's no reason to get mad at them. Mm -hmm. There's, there's a whole lot of bad stuff happening in the world. Yeah. And if everyone can just have that, you know, it'll never happen, but if everyone could just have that attitude of going out and just treating people better. Yeah. You know, just asking someone how their day is. Yeah. It could uplift some, that person that greets you at Walmart. You could be the only person that asked them how their day is going. Yeah. So it, it all goes a long way. Yeah. You know, thanks for caring. Yeah. You know, uh, as I love that you said, you know, you, you get mad at somebody that works at a coffee shop. I mean, man, God bless anybody that um, works in a drive-thru. Yep. Because if, listen, people get really mad. If you mess up a burger, if you don't count the fries and the nuggets right, dude, somebody's going to come for you. I mean, people get so mad about that stuff. And it's silly. It's like, man, why are you so mad? Like, you know, there are places that don't have opportunity like you have. You know, you, you've obviously you've got money because you're sitting down in a restaurant to eat. There's people out there going hungry. Yeah. You know, you're blessed. Yep. You may not realize it, but you're blessed. And throw a fit. Well, I really want a diet coke, and you brought me a real coke. You know, yep. come on. Yeah, I was. Uh, I tell my kids all the time, they don't know how good they got it. Yeah. Because when I when I was growing up. I remember when it was time to eat, we had to eat all our food. Because mm-hmm. um, my mom or my dad, when uh, before they were divorced, or my grandma would say, you know, there's kids starving. Yeah. Um, don't waste your food. Don't let it go to waste. Yeah. And I tell my kids, uh, you know, especially with uh, Shreveport, I mean, the news makes it out to be really bad. Mm-hmm. But I tell my kids they don't realize how lucky they are. Yeah. To be living in a safe neighborhood. Yeah. Because uh, there's kids that might be sleeping on the floor at night instead of a bed because there's gunshots ringing off. Or there's kids that might only have the only meal they get is at school. So I don't want to push them to where they have to be. I don't know how to put it. I just want to say, I'm trying to teach them to be thankful for what they got. Yeah. Because I grew up poor. My wife grew up poor. Yeah. I didn't have no hot water. Um, and your parents try to hide the struggling. Yes. And that's even, even nowadays. I mean, we're business owners. People think if you own a business, you're making all this money. Do they pro- think that? Yeah, you, you're probably <laughs> struggling more than anything. Yeah. Um, it's so hard. Yeah. And parents, I think the hardest job is hiding the fact that you're struggling from your kids. Yeah. Trying to keep them 
happy and enjoy life. Yeah. Well, they you, get, you, you want them to be kids. Yeah. You know, you, you don't want your kids thinking about, you know, hey, we got to pay the gas bill this month. You know, let it be kids. And, um, you know, uh, for me, um, <laughs> which we were we were outside kids. We were outside all the time. But that was our escape, you know, because the house was where all the trauma was. That's where all the, you know, the, the violence, the, the anger, all that stuff. And so we're outside, man, just exploring all day, every day, me and my brother. And um, but one one thing I, I did want to, I didn't want to forget to, to talk about is, is um, one of the one of the biggest, probably the biggest thing God has blessed me with. I mean, obviously, I love my wife. Um, you know, she. If there's one person that gets credit for saving me, it, it's her. You know, even though we were just kids, and you know, we we dated a long time before we got married, but. Um, it's her, absolutely, and she's. I can't even think straight without without Brittany, and um, you know, husband's watching this. You probably feel me, but um, uh, God forbid I try to walk out the house and I'm not matching right. She's gonna let me know real quick. But um, probably the biggest blessing is is my kids, and you know, I I, I always joke and I say fatherhood is the best hood, and um, being a dad. It's such a cool thing. It is such, oh my gosh. And, you know, it something that I feel that I really want to, uh, a message of positivity, yeah. Um, you know, hey, you need, you, you can have hope. You can have, you have a future. Um, but think that uh, we need, we need dads. We need dads that aren't afraid to just be dads. Yeah. And here's the thing. Um, you don't have to be perfect if you can be present. Yep. And that's my thing with my kids. It's like, you know what? I'm not a perfect dad. Um, you know, <laughs> I sent my son to school with my daughter, with, uh, with his sister's pants on the other day <laughs> and I, they were the same color <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I try, but, but I'm present Yeah. and that's a thing. And, um, you know, I just, uh, I would I would encourage dads out there. Don't you dare feel like you have that you're a failure as a dad. If you know, you know you watch. You were talking about um, social media. Social media is a highlight reel. Yep. You know you, you are seeing the absolute best of someone's life, and you're seeing edited. Come on, you're seeing filters. Yep. Now we've got AI. The people aren't even in the pictures. They just yep. they just punched in an AI generator, and. Uh, but um, don't don't look at that. Don't don't let don't define you, yourself by the world standards. Don't define yourself by whatever's going on out there. Just be present. You know, yeah. if you've got one kid, if you've got five kids, just listen. Um, you may not be the best dad in the world, but you are the best dad in their world. Yeah. And um, anyway, that's that's yeah, and that's the same for the moms of our kids. Absolutely, too. yeah. And, uh, you know, I love it like uh, when my kids say they love me. Mm. I like to tell them I love them more than they'll ever know. Because mm. you can't really explain that type of love. No. It, it's, it, it's hard to explain. But, yeah, I mean, it goes for both men and women when they're moms and dads. Kids are like the greatest. 
I yeah. mean, they change your life in an instant once you have them. Oh, yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, shout out to my wife. Shout out to Brittany. <laughs> I wanted to say shout out to Brittany earlier when you first. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, man. Um, do you want to say anything right now to finish it off? Or do you want to give a shout out to your church? Or Yeah. So, uh, uh, shout out to, um, I, I do pastor a church in Spring Hill. We said that earlier. Uh, church's name is Community Church. And um, it's just, it, it's it's so fun. It's so fun. Even the bad days, it's like, man, I can't believe I get to do this. And uh, they're a great group of people. And um, again, uh, if uh, if you're going through something in your life, there's hope. And don't don't you dare feel isolated in an impossible way. You may be isolated. I was. You may be in in a prison in your mind. There is a way out. And um, as long as you um, as long as you want out, as long as you realize, hey, this is not where I want to be forever, uh, there's, there's, there's hope. And um, just, uh, you know what? Call somebody. Talk to somebody because people care. You, you may think nobody cares about me. Nobody cares about my situation. But let me tell you, people care about you. Thank you for coming, JB, to the podcast. And, um, and yeah, to everyone listening or watching, there is hope. Yeah. Um, and thank you for the support. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for letting me come on. Yeah, no problem, man.